the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. I promised you cowbell. We're going to have cowbell and not just with the Van Halen intro music. She's been a guest with us before. We are delighted that she is not only in studio, but now situated in state. She is Maggie Vandenberg, better or also known, not better known, also known as Fog City Midge on Twitter, at Fog City Midge. You were Fog City Midge because you were in San Francisco. We're going to have to do a rebranding now that you've relocated to a state of more freedom, yes? Yes, absolutely. I'm going to have to do a rebrand at some point, but maybe not when I'm shadow banned. <laughs> it's already hard enough for people to find me. Well, welcome to Arizona. You uh, you make the state better by your presence here. Uh, just so people can have a brief uh, idea of what you stand for, you say you are a constitutional patriot exposing the Uniparty. Filmmaker, content creator, political activist, and bless you, Arizona-based. I met you through your parents, who I met in Israel, of all places. I know. Such a small world. It is such a small world. Maggie, tell the audience what you do and why you do it. So it's pretty unbelievable, but, you know, I started my career as an actress, and then I became a filmmaker when I was still working in Hollywood. And it was about three and a half years ago that I realized that what I was doing really was not going to make a difference in the grand scheme of things. And that I felt I had a moral obligation to contribute to this culture war. And I wanted to create conservative content. So even though I was super scared because I knew that coming out of the conservative closet was going to mean loss of jobs, loss of friends, loss of my uh, filmmaker community in San Francisco, I had to do it. So I started making these sort of exposés about San Francisco City Hall, exposing the corruption there, uh, exposing the homeless crisis and how it's just been perpetuated by terrible liberal policies. And I started creating this content and posting it online, and it kind of just grew from there. And I became, you know, very well known. There's definitely a very hungry audience for this, because even conservative media wasn't picking up on many of the stories that I was covering. So I, I've been blessed. I've had over 200 million views on social media, which is amazing because you think like some of my videos, they're getting millions of views. This is more viewers than on CNN. So it's pretty wonderful uh, just to get that kind of feedback and you know just have that reach with an audience. So. What was the issue, Maggie, what was the issue that first inspired you to speak out and kind of break into political commentary? Was there one driving issue or one specific issue? Was it homelessness in California? Was it something else? You know, honestly, um, I was quiet my entire time that I was in Los Angeles, and it just chewed me up inside watching what was happening to our country under the Obama administration. And I just realized one day I, I was living, I had previously lived in Los Angeles and then I moved to San Francisco with my ex-husband and, you know, it was living in that city. And I remember going to San Francisco as a kid and seeing this beautiful city. It was always very liberal, 
But now it was dystopian and disgusting and horrific. And I realized that the policies that the Democrats were using in San Francisco, they see that as a blueprint for America. And I just thought to myself, if these policies are allowed to take root over the the rest of California and across the rest of the country, we're in big trouble. And I saw what happened. I mean, literally, Los Angeles had no homeless people when I lived there. I mean, very small like group, maybe in Skid Row. But now it's everywhere. And it's just exploded across California, these tent cities and and frankly, it's it's inhumane, it's disgusting, and it's perpetuated again by liberal policies. So, you know, I just I had to start speaking out because I cannot see the rest of the country go the way that California has gone. And I mean, when I grew up in California, it was a red state when I was a kid. I'm a fifth generation Californian. I never wanted to leave, uh, but I've been forced to. And now I want to be in a state where I can actually make a difference and hope and just do all that I can to try to keep Arizona red. Good. And 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 we are glad because we need you because it's easy for states to turn. You just described California's turn. I've watched Colorado turn. I used to live in Virginia. Virginia has turned. It's pretty easy. And not a lot of them are going our direction. Uh, One of the things I want I wanted to ask you about was given all the problems California has homelessness, crime, illegal immigration problems, education, gosh knows the economy, costs of gas, you name it. What is it about California that that allows them to reelect in a special election the person who's most responsible for all that? Are we getting used to a kind of decadence here? I mean, if I can be completely honest, Please. they've been rigging the elections in California for a while. And we see this with the mail-in ballots, particularly where Republicans will be up in an area in a congressional seat, for example. And then all of a sudden at the 11th hour, a massive dump of ballots come in, almost 100 percent for the Democrat candidate. And then all of a sudden it switches and there's just enough votes. And now all of a sudden there's a Democrat that holds that seat. And we've seen this happen. And I, again, this is the blueprint that the right. Democrats want for America. And you have to wonder why were mail-in ballots allowed here in Arizona? And is that why we lost? I mean, in the last election, I mean, it kind of looks like it because this state is a very red state and yet it keeps moving further and further into Democrat territory. And all of a sudden we're sort of looking at a situation where if we don't fix our elections here, Arizona will turn blue. We will lose the state to the Democrats. And I see Republicans who are sitting in office who are doing absolutely nothing to try to stop this in the, in the next session before the midterms. No, I think I think we are teetering. What did what, what did someone wise some wit say earlier today? It, this this is what you get when you get a, a mail order president. That's yes. what we have a mail order president. Maybe you wrote it. I maybe That's I read a great it. Great line. You. I might no. have to steal them. Yeah, we, on my Twitter. yeah, we might have to steal it or make a bumper sticker or something like that. Let me also, by the way, give out the phone number for anyone that wants to talk to Maggie Fog City Midge six zero two five zero eight. Zero nine six zero. We give out your Twitter handle at Fog City Midge, but you've had some ups and downs with Twitter, haven't you? Twitter's been wild. Uh, I randomly was suspended for four months. I got suspended. I think it was uh, May sixth or seventh. They just randomly suspended my account and accused me of spamming people. It was a spam violation, even though I've never spammed anyone, never broken any of the rules, even remotely resembling their spam policy. So I appealed it. I, they they said that it was a permanent suspension. And then all of a sudden, one day, they just gave me it back. So they, I, I'm grateful for it, although I don't think it will last. So if people want to find me, luckily, I'm at Fog City Midge on all social media. So I'm still on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Rumble. 
So people can find me in other places. How do you, by the way, as someone who produces so much content, do you put the same content across the different platforms with a little bit of change here and there? Or is each platform, do you do you have different content for? In other words, is it hard to keep up with all the all the venues, avenues you have? It's definitely to difficult yeah. to cross post. Um, lately, we've been going live uh, on my Facebook page, but on Instagram, I kind of make the post shorter. I mean, there's definitely a ton of techniques for people that want to learn social media. It's not easy, but I tell everybody just get started and just start speaking your mind online. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a challenge. How worried are you about the level of that challenge? So for example, I, for 10 or more years, I've been urging people to get involved in school board meetings and Others have joined the call, and thank God parents are now doing that. It generates a memo from the attorney general, which I think causes a chilling effect on a lot of these parents who might otherwise think twice now about going to a meeting where the, if they say something wrong, the FBI may be knocking on your door. How serious do you, do, you, do you take all these incursions into what used to be ordinary political speech and the censorship around it? I mean, it's incredibly serious, but we cannot back down. I mean, people need to feel more emboldened to get involved now, because if not now, then when? They're trying to take your rights away as a parent from being able to show up and to speak and to advocate on behalf of your child. I mean, this is absolutely outrageous. And they're trying to label these people as domestic terrorists. I mean, we're talking about these are moms and dads who are showing up to air their concern about what their children are being taught in school. So it's absolutely outrageous, and I'm really honored to to know many of the people who have been on the ground fighting this fight for years. Purple for Parents is an amazing organization that's been out there fighting these school board fights for literally at least three years mm -hmm. from what I know of. Yep. Um, so it's good to see this finally coming to the forefront and seeing more parents starting to get involved. But we absolutely cannot back down because, I mean, if not now, when? i got to go to a commercial break in just a second, but I, I, I'm curious to know – how you became a conservative growing up in California, because you did say, as you said, you saw it go from red to blue, but I'm guessing most of it was pretty much blue by the time you were going through elementary and secondary, uh, at least high school, right? How did Not where I grew up. Not where you grew up. Okay. Then tell me how it was that you became a conservative activist from the education that you received, because the reason I ask is so many of my listeners, so many of my parents hear me interviewing young conservatives and they say, what's the recipe? How do you create them? How do you raise them? I have to do a quick commercial break. Will you help uh, help our parents out when we come back? Of How course. do you raise a conservative child? We'll be right back. And then an adult with Maggie Vanderberg at Fog City Midge is where she is on Twitter. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960 if you want to call in. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have in studio Maggie Vandenberg, better known, also known. I don't know why I keep saying better known. You're not better known to me <laughs> as Fog City Midge. Not but you, are but also to many known. people I am better You're, known as Fog City yeah, Midge. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question for you. How, who, are you better known as Fog? What, what do your parents call you? What does your mom call you? Midge or Maggie, okay. typically. Sometimes Margaret if I'm in trouble. But, if you're in trouble. But it's funny, when I'm out on the street and I'm at some of these protests and these events, people will be like, Fog City. Uh -huh. It's pretty, pretty cute, uh -huh. actually. So if you get a letter from the federal government of the Department of Justice addressed to Margaret, we know we're in trouble. Margaret I, I'm is the, probably Margaret. <laughs> I might, might be in trouble. But that's not going to happen. Um, talk to me about what I was just asking or thinking out loud through with you over the uh, in the last segment, which is 
the challenge of raising conservative children. So you you had the benefit of having conservative parents and growing up in a conservative part of California, not something every parent has the advantage of with their child. Often they're conservative, but the area itself may not be. How do you – what did your parents do outside the classroom? What advice do you give to parents? How do you raise a conservative child or a common-sense child that becomes a conservative adult? Well, I grew up in a small town that had a very conservative vibe, but it was in the heart of the most liberal part of the entire country, which I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. So there was definitely a very strong liberal influence. And my parents were very conservative, but they never pushed their politics on me. I mean, I literally couldn't have told you whether my parents were Democrats or Republicans. I was just a kid, right? They just, you know, we went to church on Sundays and were raised like normal kids. You know, I was never encouraged to think about politics or being engaged in politics in any way. Um, but, of course, when you're in middle school, you start becoming interested in kind of, I would say, like social justice, sure. right? I, right. Be- I wanted to be a vegan. Mm-hmm. I was a vegan for a year. I wanted to dye my hair blue. I wanted to um, hang out. you do that for a year, too? Yes, and I wanted to hang out in Berkeley, <laughs> and I wanted to, you know, I, I thought I was really cool that I was engaged. And, um, you know, I-, I-, I would get all the PETA literature sent to my house because I signed up for it. And I started looking at it and realizing this was, um, I realized, I remember being about 14 years old and thinking, this is propaganda. This is what they're sending me. This isn't real. You knew it right away. Right away, because I also, I I raised turkeys as part of 4-H when I was a young child. And I remember thinking, turkeys are not that smart. The fact that these people are freaking out over saving the life of a turkey, but these same people also have no problem with abortion. Right. And I think what really made me a conservative, because I remember being 15 years old and thinking, I'm a Republican, is I came to it on my own just by asking critical questions and really thinking through things. And the more you go in depth on any one subject, you kind of arrive at conservatism naturally if, you, if you're if you a thinker. So, I mean, I came to all of this sort of on my own. I'm, I'm certain my parents probably influenced me just b- being raised in that household. But, yeah, I would say if parents are trying to raise their kids, they just sort of have to have the conversation and help walk them through these arguments logically, because I think naturally people will arrive at those at those conclusions. And that's why they try so hard to stifle conservative thought and conservative conversations, because they know most of the country would be conservative if they were ever introduced to, you know, these ideas. Oh, I think that's right. I think that's the tell here, particularly with the Garland memo. I think they know that the schools is their indoctrination gulag. And the moment that conservatives woke up to this, and shame on us for waking up so late, because it's going to be harder to turn around given the lateness of the day in which we've woken up to what's going on in our schools. But thank God we're finally there. Is it too late? Ah. Uh. It, I don't know. It seems like we we never should have let them take over the schools. We never should have let the left control the schools and to educate our children. It's completely disturbing. Some of the craziest videos that I've made and put out there, uh, one video I did in San Francisco, little school children from kindergarten through fourth grade taken to a protest called a Close the Camps protest in response to AOC's talking point of calling these Uh, camps at our southern border concentration camps and these little school-age children had made these very hateful signs uh, calling donald trump hitler and i mean we're talking literally kindergarten through fourth grade and they were chanting uh, who do we hate donald trump who do we hate donald trump and it was so disturbing i mean it felt like hitler youth Mm -hmm. so if uh, that video has been pulled down from my youtube channel but i think people can still find it if they go back on my twitter but, I mean, it's it's unbelievably disturbing what they're teaching to kids in California, and we see these uh, curriculums being spread now across the rest of the country. It's interesting to me. I do a lot of volunteer work in the uh, drug prevention area and substance uh, use prevention. 
area. And one of the things we've learned, it took us a while to learn this and figure this out too, is, you know, we used to start teaching kids at a certain age about these problems, 11, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. We realized we have to go younger. We have to go to eighth grade. Now we have to go to fifth grade. We have to start younger and younger because the dangers that these kids are open to are younger and younger. This is what the left figured out with politics as well. You know, it doesn't just have to be a dangerous substance. It can be a dangerous idea. And that's why you see Ibram Kendi, for example, who's uh, the professor at uh, Boston University, who's, so, who's responsible for so much of this critical race thinking curriculum. He is now partnered with Netflix on, on, a, on his book, Anti-Racist Baby, designed for nursery school kids. Nursery school kids. So we disturbing. are teaching nursery school kids racism and racialism. Yeah. It's an incredible thing we're doing to these children. I never thought of this as a kid, right? right? Like right. there was no place for teaching kids about skin tone or to see one another's skin tone. It's so disturbing what they're doing. Um, but this is why parents have to be involved. It's why we have to get our country back. It's why we have to stop what they're, I mean, basically this regime that's been installed to our federal government. Uh, and, yeah, we have to get our country back on track. Otherwise, you know, who knows what the future is going to look like for these kids. You're absolutely right about this notion that this isn't what kids do naturally. There's a lot they don't do naturally that the left, the progressive movement has done to, I think, disappear and destroy childhood. Uh, gosh, all one has to do, there's an old, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, the, the old, uh, the old uh, show, uh, musical show, uh, production, South Pacific. You have to be ter- carefully taught to hate, right? That's, you have to teach people to hate. Kids are not born racist. But neither is everyone else in this country. And that's the thing that critical race theorists and the 1619 Project types and the Robin DeAngelos and the Ibram Kendis who are popular in our schools where you aren't and where traditional history books aren't. That is what they do say is that kids already are born with the wrong thinking, so we have to give them the right thinking. It's a really incredible Stalinist concept that's going on here. It's completely disturbing. But again, I, I don't know what else to say when they're stealing elections yeah. and the left. Why are we just, surprised? They don't even care. They, they're so completely blatant and brazen about this, right? In California, what they've done, they've completely taken over the state. So if you've got communists in charge, they don't really care. And that's basically this message now that they're sending with the AG sending out this memo that you don't get a say as parents, that now we want to take control over your children and we believe that we as a state have a right to educate them the way we see fit and we know better than the parents. That's that's the message that's being sent out. Maggie, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, I want you to tell the story of what you saw in D.C. in the first couple weeks of January. And then I want to take calls, 602 508 0960. I'm Seth. She's Maggie, Midge, Margaret. You can follow her across any social media platform at Fog City Midge. Maybe we could throw to the audience what your new handle could be. Yeah, let's ask them. Let's take a poll. Valley of the Sun Midge. That doesn't have the same ring. We'll have to think of something. We'll have to get it, right? Actus Midge. We'll figure it out. We'll figure figure it out. out. (laughs) I'm Seth Leibson. She's Maggie Vandenberg. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight to have Fog City Midge with us. And since she's no longer a California resident, but blessing Arizona with her residency, we'll find a uh, a new handle for her. We'll crowdsource it with the audience. Uh, Maggie, before we go to calls, tell us about your experience January of this year in Washington, D.C. 
Yeah. It, so just to give your audience a little bit of background. So in addition to making conservative content, I've also done a bit of punditry and just social media and a little bit of everything in the news world. So I was actually asked to do election night coverage with Steve Bannon on his show called War Room Pandemic. So we did about six hours of election night coverage on November 3rd. And I thought this is going to be a great night. Things are looking really wonderful. Trump's going to win in a landslide. I'm going to be able to take the next couple years off and maybe take a break from politics. And then lo and behold, we watched what played out over the course of that that dreadful evening. And then, of course, Fox News calling Arizona early and just wondering what the heck is going on. And I ended up staying in Washington, D.C. from November 3rd all the way through January 12th on my own dime, just exposing the election fraud and doing all I could to get information out there and to help fight back. And I I even went down to Georgia twice on, on assignment down there and it was it was just remarkable sort of watching this movement. I, I went to the Million MAGA March. I mean, we had over a million people marching the streets in Washington, D.C., uh, just, you know, wanting to stop the steal. And what I saw happen on January 6th was beyond disturbing. I mean, President Trump got up there, made just a very bizarre speech that was very defeatist. And it was sort of like, why did all these people come out here? Right. It just it was bizarre. And then what happened in the days following January 6th were completely disturbing. I mean, I saw the military rolled in and they basically made a militarized zone out of Washington, D.C. And here I am working with Steve Bannon just a few blocks from the Capitol uh, out of that out of that house, out yeah. of that little brownstone. I know that Capitol brownstone. Yeah. Yes. Everybody. Everybody knows yeah. it. It's infamous in Washington, D.C. So we're working out of there. And I I mean, literally, the military was parked out in front of the house. There were, you know, 10 troops outside. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking to myself, what is going on in this country? It was so it was honestly, I was scared. And I thought to myself, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm there's no way I'm staying in Washington, D.C. Um, there's no way Trump's going to turn this around under any circumstance. And I knew that I, I didn't feel safe going back to California. I didn't want to be in a in a progressive liberal state. And so I went back to California, got my car, packed up everything I owned, and I drove cross-country and I moved to Florida in January. And I had heard that President Trump was uh, going to start fire up a movement down there. He had talked about launching Trump TV. Yeah, that's about, right. I remember that now, too. He, yeah, that he, seems he like talked, a while ago. But yes, yeah, he right. talked about launching a, yeah, a social right. media. I mean, there was year. talk about yeah. Trump wanting to start a Patriot right. Party. Right. And I thought, this is really the, the movement. This is where the grassroots is going to get together and where change is going to take place. We can all get behind some kind of uh, momentum. And I was super excited about it. And I got involved with the political scene down there in West Palm Beach. I became a, a PC member, um, you know, I, I, in West Palm Beach. Precinct committee member. Yeah, yeah. Pre- Not pre- politically correct. No, but no. A pre- I a, just a precinct <laughs> committee woman. Yeah. Um, Before which, anyone says Seth has this PC person on his show, I just needed to clarify. Definitely, probably okay. not politically <laughs> okay. correct um, if anybody looks at my social media. But, yeah, so I, I became a precinct committee woman and got involved in the in the scene down there. And what I saw was really bizarre because I thought there was going to kind of be this return to MAGA, return to America First candidates. And instead, I was actually at Mar-a-Lago having a lunch, and I saw President Trump uh, in that meeting with Kevin McCarthy. He came down. Oh, that's right. That storied meeting. Yeah, (laughs) that that meeting. And it just sort of things, the tone really changed from there. And all of a sudden, Trump started going back to business as usual and endorsing the establishment candidates. And And I just thought, what is really going on down here? Because it felt swampy in Florida. I mean, it it is just I mean, the swamp is in control. And 
what I thought President Trump was going to do after, you know, he wasn't going to get his second term, which he rightfully deserved, he didn't really take that. Um, he didn't take up the mantle the way that I sort of expected him to and sort of sort of run with it. Right. Um, so, you know, fast forward a couple months, I was very disturbed by what I saw from the swamp down in Florida. And I had heard about what was going on in Arizona. And I just thought, I've got to get involved. I've got to come out there. Uh, we're going to a quick break, then we'll take calls. But do you sense he's running for president again or not? Based on what you saw? Absolutely not. Yeah, that's what I was concluding There's no from what way. you were saying. That yeah. was my sense, too. 602-508-0960. Maggie will take your calls when we come back. Let's do it. Got it. media at Fog City Midge. And if you have a new branding idea now that she is no longer in the Foggy City but the Valley of the Sun, we'll take that too. Let's go to calls. Doug and Maricopa, you are on with Fog City Midge. Well, how are you doing? Uh, I'm great. Nice to speak with you today, Doug. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was going to ask, uh, it might be a bit of a sensitive question. I don't mean it to be, but um, I've called... Uh, a number of times with dear Seth, and uh, he's allowed me to ask the question of uh, parenting conservatives because I found I had to teach our kids intimately every aspect of liberalism and the fallacies of it, and they knew more about federalism in our first constitution from the 1780s and our final constitution. I found that if I didn't teach every aspect of it, the left would. And I'm listening to your story. It's the story of many of my friends. And I don't mean this as an insult because your parents are probably the dearest people you uh, you ever knew. But it's what I call passive parenting, passive conservatism. In the leftist home, they are taught leftism. In the conservative homes, it's passive. And so we lose a huge portion of our children to the left because the left will not be passive. Yeah. And we make a big mistake. And we and so you fell to the right by sheer godly luck, you know. And really but good what parents. Would you... And really good parents. Yeah, Seth knows my parents. I know the parents. They are, they are, they are really are good, good are people. They? But, but, but you, let me brings, let me jump yeah. in. Uh, By the way, I'm not saying they're not bad. No, 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 I'm no, no. Saying... But there's there's a no. there's a there's a conservatism that's passive, and there's a conservatism that's um, instructive through the Aristotelian sense, right? Doug, yeah. if you, yeah. Yeah. you right, I, I mean, if if, yeah. if you're trying to teach character, you put someone in the presence of someone with character, as Aristotle says. And, yeah. and when you mm-hmm. have two yeah. very solid, rock-solid parents in an intact home, you're communicating conservatism without even saying it. It's, 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 yeah. it's, 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 it's living a sermon rather than preaching one. In that sense. But now well, I'll let Maggie. The other thing I was going to say, too, is, you know, you make a wonderful point. I think it's a really different world today. Right. Because back then I wasn't having it shoved down my throat. Mm-hmm. They were still teaching, you know, math and science and reading at school. They weren't cramming social justice down your throat from a young age. So I think you're correct. Parents today, they probably need to be actively countering what their kids are being taught in school. Otherwise, 
you're right. The left is going to teach it to them. I was really fortunate to just sort of, like you said, be raised and uh, well raised and sort of came to the right conclusions on my own. But but also, too, you have to introduce and use a lot of the uh, a lot of the tools available out there. There's actually a lot more conservative content available today because when I was in college, even we didn't have Turning Point. We didn't have PragerU. We didn't have any groups that were making conservative videos. There was no no one for me to watch on YouTube. So, you know, I didn't know how to articulate my opinions when I was at USC. I didn't know how to stick up yeah. for myself and what I believed in. So, you know, as much as the left does have, uh, you know, a hold on the education system, we now have at least some tools or opportunities to, I don't know, just to introduce your kids to other other ways of thinking. Well, and, and I think that's, I think that's something we got to come to grips with that. Uh, I mean, I was raised uh, in a home that was uh, what I call passive conservatism. You know, uh, dear parents lived, worked hard, faithful, you know, and, and you just, but the cultures, the culture reinforced the family yeah, values. That's a good point. You had there. the neighborhood to reinforce it. You had the culture. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think here, we have to realize, and, and I keep restating this because it's true, I want every per- person out there to really think in an almost fearful way, motivated but fearful, if you do not teach every aspect of your you know, a conservatism and the left. They have to know the left better than the left and why it's silly. They, it will be taught to them yeah. by the left. You know, we passive parent uh, conservatism is a recipe of the left's advance. You said it well, Doug. You said it well. We need it. We're, we're going to create a lot of bumper stickers here, but one of them should be: "You may not care. You may not be interested in Marxism, but it's interested in you." By the way, a listener came to us uh, on email with an idea for your rebranding. He said it's really. I'm not sure if it's a he or she, but he said it's really simple. Go from foggy to sunny. Sun City Midge. Sun City Midge. The only problem oh, with Sun that. City yeah, is yeah, yeah, community. yeah. No, right, right, Why right, not? right. Not that there's anything wrong. With it. <laughs> I might just be a little young for David to be Sun Fe- City Midge. Just <laughs> David is in Phoenix. David, you're on with uh, something City Midge. Yeah. Hi, Maggie. Thank you for the work you're doing. It's, <clears throat> it sounds really, really great. And uh, I'll look you up and see if there's any way that I can help. And I had. Um, a a question for you but first a comment i just wanted to encourage people you know like like yourself um to speak up because in my previous employer we had a town hall where we were all basically told you know uh you get the vaccine or you can't commit to work now i left the company for different reasons but in the town hall i spoke up and asked about alternatives like um you know, why not have antibody tests and this, that, and the other thing. So long story short, within 10 minutes, I got six people I, who I, I had no idea who they were. They were people in the company and other departments and such contacting me and thanking me and saying, you know, we were afraid to speak up and there's more of us out here that think this is wrong and such. So I just wanted to put a word of encouragement for, for everybody, Seth's listeners, um, <clears throat> especially to... Uh, you know, speak up because there are more of us out there than you think. And the question I had for you, Maggie, was given that uh, Donald Trump did say at one point a couple of months ago, I think, that he had made a decision about running, what indicates to you that he will not? 
Good enough. You want to do that in 30 seconds before the break? You could do it in 30 seconds. I, I just think realistically, Donald Trump is not interested in running again. If he would, if he were interested, I think he would have fought a lot harder to actually get his deserved second term. There's there's no way he's going to run again. He's not. Yeah, he's he's not. Um, he's not endorsing anyone yet. But he'll probably, my guess is, keep things of interest to him for as long as can possibly be. But he's not quite either acting like a presidential candidate either, is he? No. Yeah. Yeah. No. The tea leaves indicate that uh, that we're going to be probably looking at another nominee. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll have a concluding thought from Maggie when we come right back. They have that in California, right? Okay, Maggie, you're on here. It has been a pleasure hosting uh, Maggie Vandenberg for the last hour with us at Fog City Midge across all social media for the time being. Anyway, this is our concluding segment. I'm going to give it and turn it over to you for a concluding thought. So I have to say thank you so much for having me on, Seth. Um, It's really a delight to be able to speak with uh, your audience here in, in Phoenix area. And I just want to tell everyone, you know, there is hope for what's happening in the country, but it takes every single person being involved. And we have to actually go out there and put political pressure on our elected Republicans to go out and do the right thing, because currently right now they're not doing anything to pass election reform. So, you know, one thing that our group, the Patriot Party of Arizona, one thing we've been doing is to ask for a one day, one vote on paper, in person, no machines legislation so that we can actually regain control over our elections and have confidence and faith in our elections again. Because as of right now, I think most people feel like this thing is just completely off the rails. And if we don't get this done ASAP, there's no way that it's going to get kicked into effect prior to the midterms. So I I would say everyone needs to be involved. They need to uh, basically contact their state reps, ask them for a special session right now. Doug Ducey should be opening session so that the state reps can get in there and that they can nullify any of these mandates coming down from the federal government demanding uh, force, forced vaccinations on any company over 100 people. And so that they can also um, so that the state body can get together and they can actually address election integrity before the midterms, because otherwise we're going to end up with another election like the last one. And we know what's going to happen. The state's going to turn blue. And we're going to be in a world of hurt here in Arizona. So get involved. Reach out. Um, if they want to know more about the Patriot Party, it's at StopTheRhinos.com. Or they can find me at Fog City Midge on social media. All growth depends upon activity. One of the best Republican presidents, one of our best presidents, Calvin Coolidge, once put it. This is activity. I love it. Folks, thanks for letting us into your cars, your homes, your hearts, your minds today. We appreciate you, and we will be with you tomorrow. Until then, God bless and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.